Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Marlin's Corner, the podcast where I try to give you a movie in under 30 minutes for a review. Uh, we're in the month of November, and we're going to be doing some holiday films. And for this podcast, especially, we'll be doing two uh, out the back, not two holiday films, but just two films in general. We'll start in the front end with the film The Harder They Fall, and then we'll end with our holiday film... Um, Love Harder, which we'll get to in just a moment. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be a great review for Love Harder. Uh, just so you all know, we'll be doing the spoiler-free review of The Harder They Fall in the beginning, and then towards the end, we'll be doing the spoiler portion. We'll also be spoiling all of Love Harder because it's not a great film. Uh, so just know that if you're trying to get a review on Love Harder, I'm going to spoil it for you. So you might as well watch it first and then see why it's gotten my ire. Uh, but with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Harder They Fall. Uh, it is directed, written, produced, and composed uh, by James Samuel, uh, and it's produced by uh, Jay-Z. Uh, the log line for this particular movie is, uh, in this Western, outlaw Nat Love discovers his enemy Rufus Buck is being released from prison, so he must reunite his gang to track down Rufus and seek revenge. Uh, so if you're a fan of Westerns or just interested in Westerns entirely, Definitely give this a view. Um, the cast is phenomenal for this particular project. You have Jonathan Majors as Nat Love. You have Idris Elba as Rufus Buck. You have Zazie Beetz as Stagecoach Mary. Regina King as Gertrude Smith, a.k.a. Treacherous Trudy. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield as Cherokee Bill. Our boy Delroy Lindo uh, as Bass Reason. If you are... Um, someone who watches black films growing up you know that delroy is in a lot of black films he either plays a father figure or the bad guy uh, and this one he plays uh sheriff bass reeve so it's a very interesting role for him but you know whenever he gets on screen he just has a presence that uh honestly makes you just you know shut up and listen so he's in this uh, you're gonna have uh danielle deadweiler as koofy you have uh Edie Galfi as Bill Pickett, R.J. Seiler as Jim Bexworth, and you got Dion Cole uh, as Wiley Esco. If you know Dion Cole, he's from Blackish, and he's playing not a com not a comedic role. He's playing a very serious role, uh, which is honestly um, something he went on to say in the review of the movie is that he thought the director of James. Samuel uh, maybe didn't know what he did or was confused maybe because he was like, I'm a comedian. I don't typically get serious roles, but uh, James Samuel told him that I can only imagine you doing this role. And I got to say, Dion Cole did an amazing job in this role as uh, the Wiley Wiley Esco. Now, some things to know before you go into this film that are spoiler-free uh, is that uh, James Samuel and Title have a relationship as well with Jay-Z. Uh, this is not the first time he's actually directed a project. Um, in 2013, he directed, wrote, and composed a 50-minute uh, short called They Die by Don. Uh, if this is new, uh, you, like myself, uh, didn't have title. Uh, and this actually came out in 2013. Like I said, it was a title-exclusive short um, that starred actors in these exact same roles. So actors who played Nat Love, who, who played Bass Reeves. This was done in 2013, uh, but it wasn't a full-featured film, uh, and it was only on title. So not a lot of folks kind of saw it. If you had title, this is old news to you, but if you were like most of me and my crew, we all didn't get title. 
Um, we still got Spotify, I know, so sorry, but we were just kind of you know late to those news. But what's wild to know is that uh, with this film in particular, uh, is that Nat Love uh, in that 2013 short was played by the late Michael Kenneth Williams, who, of course, you know, starred with Jonathan Majors in Lovecraft Country. So it's wild that they both played the exact same role uh, across two different films. Um, Bill Pickett was played by Bo Kim Woodpine. Uh, Jim Beckworth was played by... Um, Nat Parker, Sheriff Bass Reeves was played by played by Harry Lennox, and Stagecoach Mary was played by Erica Badu. So it was a wild film. I checked it out before watching this. Um, it's not really a prequel. It doesn't give anything away to you. It's more of a launching point. It, it more or less shows you where this project started. Um, it was only 15 minutes. Not a lot happened. Um, it ends on a cliffhanger as well. So if you want to check it out and see like where uh, the ideas behind these characters come from, definitely do so. Characters like Stagecoach Mary, the outfits are exactly identical. Um, the top hat... Uh, uh, makes a lot of sense for Erica Badu as a person. So it's very interesting to see that the top hat um, made its way all the way to Zazie Beats uh, several years later in the exact same role. So you can check it out on YouTube for now. It is available on YouTube all 50 minutes. Uh, just look up They Die by Dawn and give it a view before you check out uh, The Heart of a Fall. What's also important to know about this film is the music. Uh, James is all about music. If you look at his IMDb page, you'll see that he actually is, uh, he, he met Jay-Z as being a member of the music department, sorry, being a member of the music department on the film, The Great Gatsby. And you remember when The Great Gatsby came out, Jay-Z was really pushing. He was on the music. He was making sure it was going to be great. Uh, James had his fingerprints all over that project. He, he's really known for uh, coming in and bringing in these beats, not only just bringing in these typical, you know, top 40 songs, but also bringing in beats as well. He's also known um, by his music name sometime as The Bullets, uh, and he's just really all about uh, the sound of his films. What's, what's particularly amazing about him is that uh, when looking up the review for the film through the cast's eyes, uh, they would often comment that they would see James behind the camera, uh, singing uh, songs while uh, while rolling or singing while prepping the shots to just remind himself what the vibe was for that particular scene, as well as just to kind of give you the importance of music into this project. Um, he really put a lot of love into it. He would often not only just be singing, but dancing as well. And y'all, it's amazing to see someone who is just uh, so uh, in touch with what his work could be, who has injected so much pride into his work. Uh, and you can tell like from the screenshots and screen grabs of him being behind set, like he is all about feeling the vibe of this film and bringing it to life. Uh, he knows that you know this is not going to be your normal, typical spaghetti western with you know with your Clint Eastwoods. He's bringing this uh, into uh, the new realm of things. I mean, black folks have been a part of this, this, this country for a long time. And we've also been a part of Westerns for a long time, but of course, we're more likely in the background, uh, whereas James is giving us a chance to shine forward. And that also includes in the soundtrack of uh, of the music for this film. James uh, is uh, from London. So when you hear him talk, it's definitely going to throw you off like, oh, this man has a full English accent uh, and music. You know, it flows through his veins, um, just like his brother. What's surprising to know is that his brother is actually a seal. So the artist known as Seal 
they are siblings and it's like wow y'all are just like y'all are both into music uh and it's amazing that you are not only into music but you're also into filmmaking and writing so big ups to you and i mentioned earlier that the plot of the film is the westerns uh is a western themed film it, it feels fresh it feels uh almost new because instead of having a period film where women and people of color are subservient uh we get a chance to see them uh living for themselves and pursuing their own ambitions whether that's for good or for not good we get a chance to just kind of have them live in that moment and just to see the characters um, kind of care for their own point of view as opposed to like having an entire film set in the Western theme, but make it all about escaping slavery. Instead, we get a chance to have a film where Black people can have their own beef, their own uh, grudges, their own revenge story that's just around like, I don't like you, you don't like me, as opposed to great, like, I'm a black cowboy and I'm trying to escape my white slave master. We've seen that a lot. It's mostly all we've seen when it comes to putting uh, people of color on the forefront. It's like, great, it's got to be a slavery film, which we we, we don't need. Uh, and I'm loving that they're giving a chance to have black directors get a chance to tell stories with black people that aren't surrounded by stories of trauma. So it's great. It's refreshing to see this, to see... Um, as be reflected in these films. And it's even better when you realize that uh, almost all the characters that these actors are portraying happen to be real people. They happen to have existed. Uh, characters like Bass Reeves, who was the first U.S. Marshal, sorry, he was the first Black U.S. Marshal uh, out here. So if you want to take a chance to... Uh, further look up these characters uh please do uh it is amazing just to see uh how far uh we've come in history and it's amazing to see that hey we have a huge part of it we know that black people and asian americans existed in america and helped them expand to the west and it's great to see them being portrayed in this way as characters who are just characters in this moment uh, and not as a trope so definitely check that out uh, this has been your spoiler free portion of the film definitely give it a watch uh i liked it it was fantastic uh, i thought it was beautiful you'll love the soundtrack you'll love the acting go ahead and give it a watch and when we come back we'll go right into the spoilers for the harder they fall as well as the spoilers for love hard we'll see you then all right, folks, welcome back. Uh, it is now time to dive into the spoilers for this film. Uh, and I got to say, I'm very excited to bring you these spoilers because I think this film um, overall had a great Western hook. Um, the costume designs were fantastic. I cannot tell you how beautiful the costumes were in, 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 in this film, in this film in particular. Uh, and it's even better to know that it was catered to uh, just not only the theme, but the skin tone. Um, it's very apparent that this was done by an amazing woman, um, Antoinette Massam. Um, she's a costume designer. She's helped design uh, outfits for movies like Superfly and Creed. Uh, and if you check it out, you'll notice that everyone is dressed to the nines uh, and not too much of a sh like a show-off way, but enough to show you the character uh, and enough to show you uh, just like their own particular style. So definitely check that out. It's amazing. Um, but anyway, the, the spoiler for this film uh, is the ending. The ending in the story, we, of course, we, we, we know that Nat Love is trying to get revenge on Rufus Buck. Uh, we, we know that uh, he, uh, as a character, um, 
he was a young man and Rufus Buck uh, came and killed his mother and his father. Uh, and we know that that's been the point of contention between them. We know that Rufus Buck gave uh, Nat love a scar to kind of uh, give him a reminder of what had happened on that day. And since that point in time, Nat Love has been um, stealing from criminals who had robbed a bank. He's been killing some people in between the stealing. So he's, he's, he's become uh, a wanted man through his activities. Uh, so that's kind of his whole uh, thing is he's, he's become a young man who was scarred to a young man who more or less is uh, out to get revenge on Rufus Buck after finding out he has escaped. And at the end of the film, we find out that Nat Love's father's name is actually uh, Nat Buck. And Rufus Buck and Nat are, are brothers. Uh, and by brothers, I mean that the young, I'm going to just call him Junior, that Nat Love Jr. is Rufus Buck's uh, brother. They're siblings, um, which is not too big of a surprise. Um, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, interesting, you know? But once he kind of lays out to you how this happens, it's kind of like, okay, cool. We've seen this type of story before. Um, that's interesting. I'm loving the backstory around him being like, yeah, the father you knew was a kind and caring guy. He took you, he was a church-going guy. He was kind to your mom, but... He was my father a couple years before this, where I was a, a, a much younger man, and he beat my mom. He beat me. Uh, he was he was a drunk. He was just a really violent man until he just disappeared, and we had to make it out on our own. Uh, and I spent my whole life angry at him and wanting revenge. And so when I killed him, uh, it more or less made me happy, but I wanted to go further. I wanted to make it worse. And that's when we get a chance to see that Rufus Buck, uh, him being a villain goes a step farther. Him being a villain uh, goes into this truly uh, just uh, other level of uh, evilness because he tells him that yeah, I killed your mom. Yeah, I killed uh, our father. Uh, and yeah, I let you live. And I'm sure you're thinking that I gave you that scar. I let you live uh, just so you could feel sad and sorry for yourself. But he tells him, no, um, my father was a bad man. And then he became a good man uh, because he, you know, he, he, he found God and he became a better person for you. Um, so me killing him wasn't the end of what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to ruin his legacy. And his legacy is you. He tried to instill in you what it meant to be a kind and loving person. And I didn't want that for him. I didn't want him to mess up on me and have the perfect son afterwards. I wanted him to, to like, to die, but also I wanted to ruin you. And the way to ruin you was by putting in your head, uh, this revenge, this instinct to become a killer. And it worked. You've become the man that your father turned his back on to become someone better. You become everything that your, that your father used to be instead of what he hopes you could be. He tried to make you uh, a, a, a man of God, a, 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 a man who could do good things. And instead, I helped you tap into uh, the killer within you, the killer that your father used to be. He is now you. And my plan has been successful. My ultimate revenge at this point has come true. Uh, and it was just really just jarring to watch that scene because, mind you, we're hoping that there's going to be this big shootout between Rufus and Nat. But when Nat gets in there to get this one-on-one -on -one moment to eventually shoot him, it's dialogue. And it's chilling dialogue where Rufus is like, I want you to kill me. Like, I want 
you to shoot and kill your brother. And I want my plan to like, this is like the, the, the icing on top. This is it. Me dying by your bullet means my plan has come to fruition and I need that to happen. And you watch as he just not forces, but more or less kind of gets Nat to, to do it. He gets Nat to, to kill him and you get a chance to see this just weird mix of emotions. And Jonathan Majors is amazing at this where he can go through a multitude of emotions, sadness, anger, confusion in these scenes, and he murders his brother. And you're left thinking, uh, is Nat Love a killer? Is he redeemable? And a lot of questions come into and come into mind because Bass Reeves before this scene tells him, when you go in there, just arrest him. I can arrest him. We can bring him back to jail again. Like that's an option. Uh and instead he doesn't take that route. Instead he takes the, the the violent route out. And it's just really surprising to see that. And as a viewer, you're left thinking to yourself, was this the right thing to do? Should he have killed Rufus Buck or should he have handed him over to Bass Reeves to go back to prison? Uh, and you're more or less given that ending. The ending isn't happy. And I love that James gave us an ending that wasn't a happy ending. It was just an ending. It was an ending where characters were like, this happened. How are we going to deal with it? Time will tell. We got to keep living for today, though. So the ending was fantastic. Uh, I love the way it ended. Uh, I'm not sure if James is going to do more Westerns, but I hope he does. Um, not, and not only just the ending I want to talk about, but I also want to discuss this idea of a settlement. Um, we In the film, we... we, we learn that Rufus Buck's whole thing is Redwood City. Uh, he understands um, that for him, a legacy is a town. Um, and we know that legacy plays a good role in this film. We know that for uh, Nat Love Sr., his legacy was a son. For Rufus Buck, he doesn't really have that kind of sentiment. He's more or less like, I need property. Property is, is, is where it's at. And um, being a, a black man, I want this property. Uh, and I don't want it to be um, given over to the government. Um, and so we find out that in order for them to make this an official town that isn't bought out by the government, because we know that his, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, co-conspirator Wiley Esco has pretty much sold the town uh, uh, of Redwood city uh, to uh, the government. And they're going to come over and if they don't pay, of course, this potential bill to own it, they're going to renovate it how they want, which means that white folks will come in. And so you have this whole thing where it's the black owned community. Uh, and instead of them, and instead of uh, Rufus Buck looking for other routes to like further support this black owned community, he decides to, to squeeze them. He decides to tell them, none of you can leave until you give me every last dime y'all have in order for my town to be bought out because it's my town. Y'all just live here and I want my money. Uh, and so you see this chance where he kind of like, goes from being this kind of pro-black business owner to be like, great, I support this town, this community, what it stands for, and y'all are living here, so y'all are going to pay into it or I'm going to kill y'all. Uh, and it's this really um, interesting uh, back and forth you have of like, great, black owned, but also, whoa, you're hurting your community. Like, that's not how you have a positive legacy at all. But it's just this wild sensation of like, oh, I see what you're saying, but also, 
the people. You can't you can't treat them like that. And the film does an amazing way of tying like a sea into material items like a town or the immaterial like a, a family member, like having a loved one. And it's a great and it's a great job of laying all that out for you to see it all played through. And it's just amazingly well thought out. Everyone did a great job. Regina King, uh, I gotta tell you, plays an amazing villain. Uh, Treacherous Trudy, I have to say, was just done. And she was fantastic in her role. Uh, she was chilling. She was scary. She was a soft spoken, heavy hitter. She didn't need to yell. She delivered her lines to like a really almost like a, 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 a low whisper sometimes. And people just moved. Lakeith Stanfield play. And also it's important to know that even though I'm saying they're villains in their mind, um, all these characters are heroes of, of, of their own story. So Treacherous Trudy in her mind is like, hey, like I'm supporting my friend and this is like a positive thing. Like Keith Stanfield, I think, played an, an, an amazing role at this because his character, Cherokee Bill, he's not really aggressive. He's not really uh, a braggart. He's just more or less of like, y'all are going to do this or you're you going to get hurt. Like he plays this very laid back kind of guy who's just like, I'm not about the frills. I'm not about being too fancy. I'm about results and he plays it so well and it's just so great. Jonathan Majors, amazing in his singing voice. He sings a few times and it's like really great. He does a great job with that. Zazie Beats um, does a great job of being one of the leading ladies, of commanding a room, commanding respect. Uh, it's just a film that is just well shot, y'all. Check it out. I'm not going to talk any more about it because I can talk about it all day long, but check out. The harder they fall, you will not be disappointed. All right. Lastly, we're going to end talking about Love Hard. Honestly and truly, forget this movie. Like, fully, like, I, I, I want to curse, but I'm not going to give it the satisfaction. This movie is uh, a terrible film. Um, the, the, <laughs> the log line of the film is an L.A. girl, unlucky in love, falls for an East Coast guy on a dating app and decides to surprise him for Christmas only to discover that she's been catfish. But the object of her affection actually lives in the same town, and the guy who duped her offers to set them up if she pretends to be his own girlfriend for the holidays. This film is directed by Hernan Jimenez, and it casts Nina Dobrev as Natalie, and Jimmy O. Yang as uh, the character, I believe, Josh Lin. Y'all, this film was bad. It's bad from the jump. It's, like, I get suspension of disbelief. I understand it completely. But where this movie loses me is this California girl. Uh, she's very pretty. She's having a hard time. Uh, she decides that, hey, I had this match with this guy on the East Coast. I'm going to fly alone, alone, to another state by myself to meet this person who I've never met in person ever. I'm just going to go by myself alone. I've never seen them in person. I'm just going to go there and meet them. And then when I do meet them and they, and I know that they've catfished me, I am instead of leaving, going to stay there and be a part of this scheme and not only be part of the scheme, but in the end, fall in love with the man that catfished me. I do not understand how this made it past the writer's room. How in the 2021 would someone say to themselves, yes, let's have a woman get catfished and then fall in love with the person that catfished her because at least he's a nice guy. Like, yeah, he lied about his identity, but like, he's a kind guy, right? 
it's okay. We can overlook the fact that he lied to you for, for months and potentially put you in a dangerous situation. Like, yes, any 2021 woman would fly to another state uh, by herself and not be creeped out by a man who lied to her over the internet and be like, you know what? At least you're kind to me and I'm going to go for it. That's not a message you deliver to someone. That's not a holiday message of like, yeah, he may have lied to you, but he's a good person behind those lies. It was absolutely gross. Like, and what's, I think what's especially worse is that I like Jimmy O. Yang as a comedian. I think he's fantastic as a comedian. What I don't like is that this film put him in this very creepy role of like, oh, this creepy guy that you like, and like, you know why they picked him. Like, it'd be one thing if they picked, like, an equally, like, oh, look, here's another, like, Hallmark-esque attractive white guy to kind of, like, offset the creep. Like, no, they picked him because he's a, he's a smaller Asian man. And it's like you're playing into this really creepy stereotype of, like, oh, look, they look different. And it's like, I get you want to say, hey, it's, like, beyond the looks to fall in love. But you could have made a film about, hey... Maybe they went on a date. Maybe she didn't like him, but then over time she likes him. That could have been a film. But instead you had him hide behind some other attractive face. I think it's important to note that, that he put another attractive face on his profile and had her fall in love with that profile. And then when we see Jimmy O. Yang, it's like, we can't help but compare the two faces now. We can't, we can't help but compare, oh, one of them is like, really like magazine hot and one of them like unconventionally cute and that's not okay to do to this person that's not okay to do to anyone at all and it came across as the grossest thing i've ever seen i do not understand how no one was like don't do this this is a bad plot for a romantic holiday film netflix come on like this was terrible. Any film that begins with catfishing and ends with them falling in love is a no-go. You you don't turn a catfish story into a cute story. What does, like, imagine this in real life. If you were just fully, just take it out of your brain. Imagine you have a friend, they're, uh, you know, they could be whatever pronoun that they happen to identify with. Imagine if they told you, hey, I'm going to go by myself to another state to meet this person I've met online. What would you tell them? Odds are you tell them, absolutely not, or I'm coming with you. Then, take a step farther, let's say they get there with you, and you realize that that's not the person that they were online. Would you choose to stay with that individual? No, you would tell your friend, we're getting out of here, this is creepy as fuck. We got to leave. I don't understand how that isn't understood. Hernan Jimenez, you directed a bad film. This is terrible. All of it's bad. From start to finish, the whole thing is a bad film. Like, the actors did their very best, but it was so impossible to pull myself out of how many negative emotions I felt sitting there watching this young woman who, again, yes, she's confident, but it's like she's by herself in a city in a state where she knows no one and is at the mercy of this man who is like, great, you can stay with me, but you got to pretend you're dating me and I'll help you hook up with this guy you want. The whole situation is bad. And what's worse is that at the end of the film, they try to like twist it to where it's like, oh, she's also bad because she's also kind of catfishing this other guy. And it's like, no, she's not catfishing him. 
if anything, she's getting inside information about what this guy likes. And yeah, the only thing she lied about was like, oh, I'm not his cousin. She didn't show up and pretend to be a whole other woman and look different. The movie really tried to be like, oh, they're both equally bad. And it's like, no movie. One of these people lied about who they were, lied about their entire identity to pull someone from another state to them. And even in the film, they like the, one of the lines is, how long do you plan on doing this for? That's a bad person. That's a bad person. And this is a bad film. Zero stars. Bad film. Holiday films coming off to a bad start. This film, zero. Okay? How do they fall, though? 10 out of 10. But that's been my review. Sorry for the long-winded rant, but my God, Love Hard is a terrible... If you want to watch it and hate watch it, please do. Bring your friends, poke holes in it, and shout at the screen because, my God, y'all, this was a terrible piece of film. Um, and with that last bit of ranting, this has been Marlon's Corner. I'm going to get some water. Take a walk around the block because this film's got me hot. Anyway, we'll see you next time on Marlon's Corner. I'll bring you a different holiday film, maybe another different film in the beginning. But I appreciate you for listening. Tune in next time when we're back in the corner on Marlon's Corner. This episode of Marlon's Corner was produced in Richmond, California. 